0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and this is Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women. So I'm so excited to have on our guest this morning. Her name is Liz I have been Facebook friends with Liz for years now, and I will tell you that as much as she is smiling and wonderful and friendly and on social media, she's exactly like that in real life too. So that's cool. We we had a wonderful talk yesterday about just different things um, that we can talk about today, and I know this is going to be such a good one. So Liz, if you don't mind, introduce yourself to the ladies and give us a little bit of background information about yourself and what led you to get sober.
1: Awesome. Hey guys, I'm Liz Alcoholic and I've been kept sober since September 25th, 2014. So grateful for that. So grateful to be here. Thanks for having me here um, and starting my morning off this way. I don't think I can think of a better way to start off. So in reflection, looking back in my, my journey in recovery and sobriety, it has not been linear. It has not been came and stayed. It um, has been very up and down. And the entire time has been one huge, big spiritual experience for me. From the time I was 16, when I was first introduced to the program of Alcox and Honest for myself, Little backstory with that. I grew up in a home where my mother got sober at two years when I was two years old. So I was the kid at going to meetings, coloring in the back, uh, the old Dallas North group, answering the phone, Dallas North group. Like I was around the rooms at a very young age. My two older brothers actually got sober when they were 16. We had a joke in our family that you had to go to treatment before you could get a car. Funny, but not really funny. But so it was around alcoholism, recovery it was always taught, you might not want to mess with alcohol, you could probably possibly have this disease as well. But if you're anything like me, that did not discourage me and actually fascinated me. And so I, um, what was this alcohol that I was supposed to stay away from? And so I started pretty early, you know, I would say my first drink was at 14, um, experimenting, and then I, I was off to the races at an early age, the people, the kids, the the, the group of friends I was hanging out with, doing the deal with, um, hiding, sneaking around with, and, you know, living our best 14, 15-year-old lives. Those are the same kids who ended up going to my father and saying that I had a problem, and then they were worried about me. So the ones I ran with, the ones we went hard with, they, they were like, something's different about the way she's doing this. I felt like that was kind of unfair, right? Like we were all doing the same thing, but they could see it in my eyes. Something hit me and happened to me when I did this that did not look the same um, as it did with, with other people. I did get a look in my eyes. I did never want to stop. Like there was never enough, you know? Um, And I was dealing with a lot of uh, emotional pain from my mom had mental illness. and, And, and even though she was in sobriety, she had she had relapsed when I was uh, about that age. And so the pain of their divorce and and trying to, you know, manage that, it was like I was living with a loaded gun in my head. I can't tell you or describe it any other way better than that. My mind was my worst enemy. Um, I, I hated myself. I hated what was happening at home. I didn't know how to verbalize it except for enrage, you know, and and alcohol. And other substances were a way to numb out and to completely forget. And I almost felt justified. Like, you guys owe this to me. You owe it to me. Like, this is, this is my little piece of freedom, and I'm going to run with it. So um, I ran it all the way into the ground is what I did at an early age and qualified myself for alcoholism. Um, I had my brother actually was the one who said, hey, Liz, do you think you, you might have a problem with alcohol? And that was after, you know, uh, an event that happened that was like one more bottom I felt completely out of control. And I said, yeah, I think so. So we had somebody come over. She had done an intervention on all of our family members, which is hilarious. Lois is still around and she's rocking the recovery today, but she's an old family friend of ours. She came over and, um, you know, I answered the questions and then next thing you know, those, those questions landed me in the treatment center <laughs> and it was an all girls treatment facility in Oklahoma. And, um, I did not sign up for that. I was just admitting that I may have a little problem with alcohol. I was really afraid of like, oh my gosh, like now this is it. Like I started at 16. So my first sobriety was September 15th of 1998. And, um, that place saved my life. I was there for 11 months. But what it did is kind of set up recovery in the program in a way where, and me trying to reach a higher power that I was so desperate for, in a way where I was actually trying to do good. Like if I could just get good enough, I could get sober. If I just did follow the directions correctly, then maybe God would love me. Maybe I could do this right, I've been such a screw up that maybe I could, this could be my time to shine. So I got back from that treatment center Graduated from a different high school. I was sober now. I was going to meetings. I was doing young people in recovery. Loved it. Some of the best times of my life. You guys go hard. People, the young people in recovery were so fun. We would stay up. We'd go to meetings. It was just like I saw that you could have fun sober. Um, and it, it was exciting for me. Um, so I, I got, I graduated from high school, went to college. I'm sober in college. Um, I'm in a, a, a potent town and in uh, te- Hunts, Huns Vegas, Huntsville, Texas, and they have one meeting, right? And they have one guy who sponsors everyone. And when I went to that place, it wasn't, you know, recovery was on my mind and staying sober and, but it wasn't, it wasn't everything. Right. And, and recovery for me and, and having sobriety actually turned into more of a pride thing where I was starting to puff myself up thinking I had lived so long in shame, like the things and the acts that we do when we're out there the shame that was heavy on my heart, I thought, you know, maybe I could prove myself worthy, right? And that I could be something special in other people's eyes. And this was my time to shine. So I remember I joined um, a sorority. I was actually the pledge class president. I was sober and I really held on to that I was sober. And here I was, the pledge class president. Recovery became less and less of the important thing. And it was more about how I looked being sober, right? And earning approval for that. And, you know, talking about my alcoholism and my recovery was less and less about helping somebody that may be suffering and more about how I looked and, um, you know, the accolades I could get for being sober in college, right? Pat on the back. Well, that didn't last. And um, all it took was one insane breakup and me hanging on his door sill going, You can't break up with me. I'm gonna drink if you break up with me. He was like, go drink. And so I sat on his front porch and drank vodka and a water burger cup. Cause that's the only, you know, logical thing. So he could see, you know, how much he hurt me. And He was not at all devastated by that. And like, it didn't affect him and he did not care. And so that was really a hard one I had to grapple with. And, and I got lonelier and more depressed, and more isolated. And so now I don't have this sober chick thing to hang on to anymore so who am I what am I doing here I feel really lonely I came home got sober again and but this time it felt different and this time I was a little resentful and this time you know I was a little afraid because you know I held on to that so much and that that image and it was gone and so here I am in Dallas trying to get sober again it's just not clicking it's just I'm not feeling it I don't know what that is it's a lack of surrender right like it was just part of my experience that led me to where I am today but I ended up going hard and heavy in another direction uh, and getting into some really really dark places with um other substances that you know I lost lost years of my life you know because I, I don't remember uh what was happening Um, But it was in those times that I was 24 years old. was in a car lost somewhere on a road. I have no idea where with a girl um, who I'd been hanging with and, you know, living that life with. And in the car, I had a spiritual experience. I had a burning bush moment where God came to me and said, this isn't about how clean you can get. This is not about how many rules you can follow. This is um, not about how good you can get for me. This is because I love you. I love you exactly where you're at as far gone as you are. And I realized in that car in that moment that um, it wasn't about me getting cleaned up for God, that God loved me exactly where I was at. Um, and he was going to, re- he refused to keep me that way. Cause that's not what he called me to. That's not what he created me to be. Um, but he was going to help me out of it. And I didn't get sober immediately after I had that experience in the car, but what happened is slowly the desire for wanting um, the things that were killing me slowly started to get removed and I checked myself into another treatment center. This time in Arizona, I have a thing with treatment centers guys. And I think like the further you go, the more effective the treatment center is. I've come to find out that is, like completely false information, but you know, we have ideas. We have things that we think it's going to help us. Like I think they call that a geographical cure. But anyway, so I went to another treatment center and, and this time it was different. And I, since I had that spiritual experience in the car, I was a little afraid that, and that my higher power was now Jesus. I was scared that AA was going to try to take that from me. I know that sounds silly. You know, we have our uh, preconceived notions, but that was one thing for me is that, you know, since it was higher power and then now I had this experience with Jesus was like, you, were you guys going to try to take that from me and not, let me happen. I come to find out it was completely false. And this is all a personal journey and whatever your experience is that that still happened for me. That was my experience. And I could take that forward and I didn't have to be afraid of AA trying to take my higher power. Right. So I came back in the rooms and I remember seeing people that the first time I walked back in, I went to the Addison group and uh, I saw somebody that I was sober with before. And you know, what happened was I walked in that room wearing like old Navy little boys clothes, like with a hat, like a, just a child at 24, um, saw this guy and I felt immediately like relieved, like like I'm home, like these are my people, I am home, let's do this, you know? And I think one of the biggest things since I started out at 16 with the, with the program, with the big book, doing the steps, doing the deal at different times, having various lengths of sobriety, I had to, you know, ask God to kind of remove anything, any experience I had pr- prior with AA and with the program, and let, let this be fresh, you know, let it be new. Let me see this in a new way. Let the steps work in my life, um, in a, in a richer and more meaningful way. And that's what, what what happened for me during that time. I got sober, uh, and I met my husband actually uh, at the at that group, and we got married, and I I got relieved of a lot of, you know, the torment that I lived with most of my life in relationships. And I was grateful, but then I started having babies and my mom got sick and she, you know, that was a tumultuous relationship. So when she got cancer, I, um, you know, I, I had bouts with anxiety and depression and um, was really afraid of her dying. And when she died, as much as I tried to prepare myself for that, it was, it was really difficult. And um, some of the things and the ways I sought to seek help for some issues I were, were having ended up coming back to becoming baffling and powerful and biting me in the butt um, with medications. I tried to be open and honest about everything I was doing from the very beginning, but what happened over time is that um, I just started lying about how much I was taking when I was taking it. And next thing you know, medications I was prescribed and I was in denial that I had was, was abusing on buying off the streets. Like I'm calling people who used to be sober and, and getting them. And, uh, cause I knew alcohol wasn't something I could mess with, but like this, I was prescribed, like, see, you could see it right here. But when I maxed out all the, you know, maximum dosage of every medication I could possibly get from a doctor legally, then I went and, and sought elsewhere. And, you know, I didn't know I had an issue that's the scariest part about it to me is that, you know, I was in the middle of AA, I was sponsoring people. Um, and here I was living in complete lie. I had about nine years sober and uh, got in a fight with my husband, got my, had my two kids, drove out to East Texas. I was going to go to my dad's place and just, you know, get away. I took the same amount of medication I took every other day. Uh, no, nothing different. And for some reason on the highway, my eyes closed. Um, and I, I passed out, we ran off the road and, um, we totaled the car and had my children in the car and nobody ever asked, you know, was that, was that pill related? I would have never admitted it was pill related, but my medications had, had become a problem for me and my best friend saw it in the program. My husband saw it and, and, and eventually I had to catch up to the game, man, that this wasn't going to work. But that was one I was it was really hard to let go of because to me that was what was helping me stay afloat, stopped or prescribed. I don't get it. But it all all served a very important lesson for me um, personally because I had to go through all of that. I had to, I've I've I have investigated every nook and cranny. I have tried every route possible. I have taken every pill and gone to any doctor. I have tried everything possible to not feel, to not experience life as it is to escape, um, and to elevate fun. Right. And so everything that I went through, um, all those years processing, trying to get sober led me to the point where I was willing to surrender. I went to one last treatment center this time, California, because hello, it was called hope by the sea. And I don't know about you guys, but who doesn't want a little hope by the sea. So, um, that's when I went, I went in July, actually of 2014, came back. And I was like, okay, here we go. Obviously my sobriety date is September. Um, I had one last thing where I went back out, you know, but the thing is, was when I went, it was like not doing anything for me anymore. You guys, we know the deal. I had done that with alcohol. I had done it with other substances. And now with the pills, nothing was working. But it was great um, because I remember the exact gas station I was at. I had some stuff left. I said, this is it, God, done. How many times have we done it? But I meant it, I swear. I was like, this is not working anymore. I'm going to have to do it your way Threw it away and, um, got to work, you know, and I I had the same sponsor that it was with me all those other years and a woman I admire, but this time, you know, it had to look different. And she told me, okay, I I don't know if I can help you if you can't be honest with me. And I remember, I don't even know if I can be honest with me. Like I, I'm a, a, I live on a throne of lies. Like I don't even know, How to do this, but I I continued to show up. I had to find a new home group, and that was for some personal reasons because when I was at Addison, I, you know, I was the girl sponsoring eight girls. I was going to meetings all the time. You know, I'm like, did GSR, I'm in service position. Like I was uh, the thing that was killing me was acting like I knew everything when I was dying inside, you know, being completely a part of AA and yet living a complete double life, which is kind of frightening. So I was a little scared to know anything this time. So I went to a different home group, got plugged in there, got plugged into a step study um, that has saved my life. And this the program has become alive in a new and a different, fresh way. My relationship with God is the single most important thing in my life today. And, and that will carry me through it all and has carried me through it all. So I am grateful to be able to be here and participate. So let's do these questions, party people.
0: Uh, that was so good. Thank you so much for your honesty and transparency. And I feel like there be a lot of women or listeners in general who relate to a lot of that. I know I definitely did for sure. Uh, does anybody have any questions? I just, I just wanted to thank her because it was, um, it was so honest and it did strike a chord with me. And I, um, what you spoke about really touched my heart, and I appreciate how honest you were, especially about that accident you had with your
1: children. That's a hard thing to admit. Thank you. I appreciate that. There was times, you know, when I got in the last treatment center, where um, the the trauma from that and the experience, I would wake up in nightmares, screaming at the top of my lungs, uh, because I would envision my little girl dead in my arms, like I. I repressed that so much, but it came out, (laughs) it came out. And so now I can talk about it without, without crying and in tears. And I'm grateful for that because that was one of the worst things I've ever experienced in my life. Period.
0: On that note, do you mind uh, talking about, well, actually, first I have a question that I want to ask. Do you have
1: a fear that you'll relapse again? So you broke up just a little bit, but I think, Oh, okay. What different years of sobriety do I have a fear that I'll relapse again? Mm-hmm. Okay. I will happily report that that is not a question in my mind right now. It's not anything I obsess or give power to. I've had such an experience with being sober, not being sober, being sober, not being sober that this last time when I had that sobriety date of 121, 2005, that was like, I held so tightly to that, that that was my identity was that sobriety date. Um, and what that recovery looked like for me this time. it's like totally like unplugging all of that I don't, my daily goal and complete obsession is to getting closer to God. And I know if I'm shooting towards my higher power in that direction, um, there's nothing I'm going to experience that uh, he won't carry me through. So I'm grateful for the obsession to be lifted. I'm grateful that I don't think anybody owes me anything. I'm grateful that I don't think I'm owed a drunk or a drink or that some circumstance or, or, you know, some emotion of mine could, you know, give me permission to go ruin my life and, and, and ruin the people that I love's lives. So that to me is the biggest gift is that I don't see it so much as this struggle against alcohol or any other substance. I see it as a spiritual, like surrender to God on the daily man. And he will protect me and keep me and because he's good. Not because of me, <laughs> period. I love that,
0: that you said your greatest obsession is uh, getting closer to God. So beautiful, so powerful. Well, so I wanted to talk about being a mom and, and just what that has looked like. And if you have experience that you would like to share with
1: the ladies and the listeners. Absolutely. So the mom is one of the greatest joys of my life is one of the scariest things I've ever experienced and like what where where and how you know I wasn't one of those moms it was like I am so excited to completely give up my entire life for another human being it was actually it's been a slow painful <laughs> uh let go and w- literally the best experience of my life Um, my children but you know in recovery I found that having kids I've I can make that an excuse to you know, back off things that have brought me peace, bring me harmony, keep me sober, you know? And so my kids can't be an excuse uh, to not participate in recovery. Um, that was, you know, I'm sorry, I'm too tired. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I'm sorry, I'm too, no, my recovery has to be a priority in my life today. I have to, I have to plan it in. It literally has to be in the, the calendar and I'm not a planner, but it's that important. I would say today realizing that the kids are not an excuse for not participating in recovery. They're actually, you know, my reason for doing the things that I do, letting them know, uh, that mommy's doing something that's going to help, you know, help her be a better mommy. But I get it, mom. I have a heart for moms in recovery because I think it does get a little complicated. You are doing a lot of things other than, you know, just in your big book reading, you know, there's, we're all busy women, but as kids, you know, have, you're, you're a mom, like they, they're wanting something at all times. You're responsible for another human being. It, it, it takes a toll on your heart. Right. So it's just important that recovery becomes not just, you know, something I may participate in. It is literally like, you know, you got to make it happen. Like it's not a, a matter of, I hope I can fit this in today or this week. It's like, okay, what am I going to do to make this happen? That's my big suggestion to moms because listen, what you're doing with your kids is like the greatest work ever you'll do. But for me, I've got to be sober or I start to resent them, right? Like I remember so fresh, my kids were such, it felt like a burden. It's like, seems so sacrilegious and against everything as a mom, right? Like when we're doing our deal, like the kids are like, got to get rid of, I got I need more me time. There's too much of them. So when I came in recovery, I kind of went the other end and was like, well, now I've got to be here. And then I went crazy because I wasn't taking care of myself spiritually and doing the things in recovery that bring me peace so that I don't, you know, make it necessary to take a drink again. So
0: what are the things that you do in recovery to, to bring you peace? And like, what is planning your recovery and your week and making it a priority look like? Good question.
1: Um, so whenever I got sober and, you know, I was struggling with anxiety and all of all the things that didn't just go away because I got sober and decided that I couldn't take medications myself because it wasn't a good fit for me, because I went off the rails with them and almost killed us all with it. Um, so my sponsor had me start wording what I was experiencing a little bit differently to stop giving as much power. I would used to call her all the time. Oh my gosh, I'm going through anxiety. Like I'm overwhelmed. Everything is, uh," you know, as a mom, like that's how I felt all the time. And she asked me to start rewording and trying to find new ways to explain that word anxiety instead of coupling everything in, right? And what helped unpack that for me was a constant 10th and 11th step. Like to let God in on this, you know, instead of just bundling it up, you know, anxiety, 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 let's unpack that. Is this fear, resentment? You know, am I being dishonest? Do I have a secret? Is there something going on? And when I started to implement that, I re- fought it like nobody else's business. Um, when I started to implement that on a regular basis, that's when I started getting a lot of freedom from the situations. And I didn't have to rage out on my kids, right? Because it was all a cycle, right? It was, I'd start to, it would build up. I'd get overwhelmed. Then I'd act out. Then I'd feel guilty. And it was like, I'm doing this sober, right? This is not even drinking. But um, an active 10th and 11th step help on the daily, helped me to identify the areas in my life that start to feel like they're bubbling up. And if I don't take care of them, I'm going to lose it, right? There's a lot of lies and false beliefs about schedules and, their schedules when, when we get invited to stuff, like I just have to um, incorporate every Monday night. I have a step study that is non-negotiable um, that I do with my women. The last two, three years we've done it. It saved my life. It is the one constant it when everything else goes, that's mommy's Monday night meeting. We don't mess with that. So I have that. I have a day of the week that in a time that I call my sponsor, I can call her in between, that is non-negotiable. This is what I'm doing every Friday morning. I'm calling my sponsor and I'm talking about anything that ended up on my 10th and 11th step, um, which we actually share in a Facebook group with just a small group of us. That has been really helpful for me is seeing other people's, what that looks like, people I trust, what that looks like in their life, what fear shows up as, how they're helping other people, what, what secrets are we keeping? It's like, That's my community is making sure I'm on Monday nights and, and call my sponsor every Friday. And then there's other meetings, um, like a women's meeting on Saturday mornings at Addison. There's meetings that I fit in along the way, but those are the two non-negotiables and then making sure a 10th and 11th step is, is a priority in my life, um, have offered given me a life that I never could have dreamed of period in a sense. That's how I schedule it. I love it. Awesome. Well, I know
0: we talked about the 10 step on the phone often. I mean, I was just talking to a sponsee the other day and she's like, I feel like I should understand this. I feel stupid asking this, but like, when do I 10 step? And I was like, girl, everybody, Overcomplicates and overthinks, and yep. it's the least understood. <laughs> uh, so don't feel stupid. Um, but do you mind sharing your experience around 11 and how, um, just what knowledge you can give us and experience you can give us, and um, and how you became disciplined Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I just want to start off with I've been at this for a hot second, party people, and I will say it finally clicked for me in a certain format about two and a half to three years ago where it finally made sense. It was not a complete, uh, like where I would just dread it. Right. Like, I don't want to think about this stuff. It's just too, too much. I already have, let's move forward. Let's just keep moving. You know, like there's no need to dredge up what's going on. Um, and it was a formula that my sponsor came up with. It's called the WADA steps, which sounds strange, but it's an acronym. W A D A H right and w is for watch and watching for and this is all from your big book this is not anything new it's just she explained it in a way where my brain could understand it it's 86 87 it's like literally already in the book but she put it in a way i could hear it so watch so i'm going to watch for resentment, dishonesty fear and selfishness you know and i'll go through my head and and the time of day you do it listen in the morning, non-negotiable quiet time with my higher power, period, in a sentence. I used to do it at night and then it was just weird because I wake up, start my day and I was just like off to the races again. But for me with a 10 step, I can do it in the morning. After my quiet time, I can do it at night. I can do it midday party, people. It doesn't matter. You just do it when you start to feel, you know, uh, if you have to do it midday because you're starting to feel overwhelmed. So I'll, I'll check for those four. And then A is for ask. Did I ask God to remove the selfishness, resentment, dishonesty, and fear today, right? And then D would be, who did I discuss this with? So we're going to invite somebody into this process. So it's not just me and my hat, right? That's kind of where I got stuck a lot with this too, is that I was doing it and it was just me. And it was just like, I am all I hear, right? So you invite somebody in, you share it. And then we're, we're going to go to a, where, where it's amends, were amends owed, do I own amends? Did I make them? Okay, so you can kind of get on track for anything that you've, you know, maybe participated in that, you know, you need to get cleared up. And then H, who did I help? And what did I do? So this is directly from the big book is about turning our attention to, you know, who we can be of service to, but those are the steps that I go through in order for step 10, for me to be effective. If you or someone you
0: know is a woman who wants to grow in her recovery, join our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community, structure, and accountability to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. Every Next Step assignment and accountability group helps alcoholic women to stay sober and thrive in her recovery. We have in-person and virtual options available to help women near and far. Please call 214. 764 0793 extension 500 to complete your phone screening to see if you qualify.
1: My favorite part of that is then there's the 11th step. And did I pray and meditate today? What do I need help with? Have I asked for it? Do I have a secret? Was I kind and loving to all? What could I have done better? Do those sound familiar because they're directly from the big book? Um, Was I thinking of myself most of the time? Was I thinking of how I could serve others? And I love this because then we're going to take the information that we learned from whatever we wrote down and we're going to, you know, go apply it uh, for a game plan tomorrow. Like, okay, I'm going to see Sally again. Do I need to make an amends to her? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a plan to make an amends. I'm going to go through my day. Okay, I know that when I get home from work and I'm a little extra tired and the kids are extra loud, I know I'm usually pretty tense, right? I found that out, right? So I'm gonna invite God into that. I'm gonna gonna see what he can do in my life. Like show up for me, God, help me to keep my mouth shut, help me to be kind and loving, help me to not care as much about little things that are really not a big deal. So I start inviting God into all of these little areas that are giving me issues with my selfishness, resentment, my fears, my dishonesty, and he starts to, you know, shape me into the woman that I'm supposed to be, you know? So it's not just me going out there and trying to do better, right? That's not what this is. It's just evaluating where I'm at and inviting it. God into the process and inviting my sponsor into and the community of women that I trust into my life. So they can see, they can have a pulse. You know, that's what recovery is today for me. That, that is the community, right? Um, it's everything I didn't want when I came in, I was so afraid to, to be known, seen, heard, Uh, I remember my sponsor asking me to call a new, like, you need to call a woman and ask how she's doing. I was like, that is the most awkward thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I called this girl named Erica, who's now one of my best friends in the entire world and said, Hey, Erica, this is Liz. And my sponsor told me I have to call women. And she's like, awesome. I'm so glad you called. And like, it was those little steps of willingness when it didn't make sense how inviting women into my life to be a part of, you know, to do things with, to accept invitations and then to invite others into to participate would be such a life changer. But it really is. I think it's you're missing half the, the beauty of this program for not living in a community.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So the other thing that, I mean, this is kind of going totally off topic, but you mentioned that you lost your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also know that you've lost your dad. And I do think that talking about going through grief and loss and sobriety is super important. And so I was wondering if you could uh, speak
1: to that. Absolutely. You know, I've, fumbled fumbled the ball grief is messy and and it's also not linear and it's not in a straight line like it's up down all around um nice try on trying to grieve well like i mean i've read all the books i've done all the things listened to all the possible podcasts going through the loss of my mom trying to prepare for that um with her cancer i'm um, trying to it, i just i've quote unquote hit my face into the dirt with that and was in so much pain and was so wrapped up in it all uh, and it felt overwhelming. But what I learned from that is that I was never gonna let the loss of anybody or anything ever take my sobriety or my life again, you know? Um, like it didn't matter, like it couldn't do that anymore. Either I trust infinite God, right? Or my finite self. And I had to go through what I went through fumbling through that experience with my mom's loss to be prepared for a couple years later I was you know my dad my my very best friend we were super close I just visited with him on Tuesday he came over he, like he always did and then we drove out to he's in he was in East Texas and he had a heart attack and he died and I remember on the way driving out after I got the call that he was at the hospital thinking he was still alive you know I I'd like I I um I leaned in and to worship, I leaned into God. I leaned into. Um, I cried. I prayed, um, and I gave God thanks for whatever happened. If I showed up and if He wasn't there anymore, I was going to trust God and believe God um, that He would get me through it. And I wouldn't have have had that resolve, I don't think, had I not gone through what I did previously with my mom. And um, it was different this time. I can't explain it. Like when it wasn't like the loss was not as significant. I mean, I was actually probably closer with my father. It was just, I, grief had changed me, you know, it made me stronger. It brought me to this point where I can honestly say that you can get through anything and and still stay sober. Like it's a, it's, it's a promise. Like you don't have to, God will always provide. And so I have compassion for people who are hurting. I have compassion for those who lost. I remember what it feels like. I, I like to be there and offer an ear. But one of the things is that I didn't stay stuck this time. And I don't want to say it's anything special about me. God just allowed me the grace to to go through it and to stay sober um, and to not throw my life away because I lost somebody that I love deeply, you know? So that's my experience, Strength and Hope with Grief. Thank you so much.
0: Now you have been married for some years yes. how many years don't make me do math 2009. so okay. I think 12
1: so I
0: and so you have gone through relapse in your marriage right wow. yes do you mind sharing your experience strength and hope around around that especially because you know your husband's in the program and I think he stayed sober correct yes he did, he
1: did. yeah that yeah. was So messy. Oh gosh, that was so gross. Okay. So, you know, I remember just thinking he was the the whole problem, you know, like his lack of love and compassion and understanding. He just, you know, when my mom died, like his, he just wouldn't let me wallow in it. He just was like, not I, I just he was always the problem when I'm drinking or in my disease, like he's the problem. So it was a very it was very hard on our marriage. Like obviously he didn't trust me with our children. That was devastating to me that that's where I had gotten ew, right? Like he was like you can't drive our kids and I'm like, ah, you know, and I remember being mad about that. but now it makes perfect sense that he was protecting them, but that was a that was hard. So when I went to treatment, He wasn't impressed with me and he didn't care. Like he was over me, like way over me Um, and all my shenanigans. I don't think he, we even talked. It was a month long treatment center. Maybe we talked two times. He was really angry. Like here he is taking care of the kids, taking care of the house. And I'm out here in California, like living this. He was just not happy at all. Um, And so when I came home, it didn't magically change. It was super awkward and uncomfortable it took a lot. It took a lot of grace and me saying, doing what I was said I was going to do and not expecting a pat on the back. Like way to go, you know, like this had to come from within man. Like, cause he was, he had been left out to dry, like so many times. And um, he married one woman and ended up with another, like literally um, because I am not pleasant when I'm in the middle of, of my disease. So, It was, it was been a long haul, you know, I've been sober six years, six and a half years. And I would say, you know, working the steps and and doing this honest eight step, nine step where I was, you know, owned up, owned up to not my part where I was wrong, how I deeply hurt him. And what that was going to look like for him was when I'm, when I'm in my disease, I want you to take care of me. I want you to take care of the kids. I want you to, I want everything to be done for me. Like I'm completely entitled, self-centered go to the grocery store. Ooh, like it's embarrassing how self-centered and consumed um, I could get. So when I got sober, it was like the way I made amends to, were to show up and do the dishes before he did the dishes or get up a little earlier so I could take care of the kids, you know, and it was painful. Like, completely shifting from uh, me consumed what what's good for me to what could help my husband but my sponsor has been one of the bigger helps in that because she could help me see what that looked like because I couldn't see um, how to do that on my own like all I could see was how to take care of myself and she and the program and God told me showed me how to love him well and that was going to be part how to love my kids well that was going to be part of our healing and Today we have a good relationship today. We've been healed and I'm grateful for it. Cause I didn't know if we would last. I really didn't.
0: That's awesome. I can totally relate to being super entitled. It's like, mm. um, it's cringy how like entitled yeah. I was. I <laughs> yeah. Oh God. But not the only one. So that's good. No. Uh, anybody else have any questions? Okay. So you talked about like living that double life in the middle of a sponsoring a bunch of women, but I'm assuming that like, you weren't doing anything behind closed doors to grow your relationship with God. Correct.
1: So here's the thing <laughs> I was actually, I was still praying. Okay. I was still journaling. I was still doing that. Um, in my mind, the cunning, baffling, powerful part of all of that was, um, you know the slippery slope of prescriptions, which, and I, I'm not here to tell you what to take or not to take. This is between you and your doctor and your higher power. What I was doing was was dishonest. It started off with good intentions and doing it the right way and being open about it. But no, I continued to pray to God during the whole thing. I think you know that's that's my style too. <laughs> I could be in the middle of it. I'm still going to ask God. Cause I learned, remember from that last time that, that spiritual experience I had in the car, it didn't matter. I didn't have to clean up for God. I didn't have to go a certain way. Right. Like I still seeking him, even though I was in complete delusion, like by the grace, by the grace, you know?
0: Well, okay. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned being completely dishonest though, because I was literally talking about this with somebody that like, I could be doing like 10, 11 and 12, but if I'm being dishonest, like it yeah. doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> like yeah. if I'm living in dishonesty, like I'll still
1: that's the pick thing about see the thing about the tenth, and eleventh step I shared with you is that it gives me like three ways to like own up to it. Cause sometimes when I'm offered with the first option to be honest or to, to be completely forthright with information, which I'm not I'm usually just in denial. I'm not trying to necessarily be sneaky, but it says even when he's trying to be good, right? Even we have these good motives, we're still being completely self. Centered, right? And that's me. So in the 10th step and the 11th step, it gives me the option like, hey, it's going to ask me flat out dishonesty. Have I been dishonest? If I can't fess up or own up there, <laughs> then it's going to say, do I have a secret? Right? am I hiding anything? Is anything, sometimes that word, you know, can feel a little intrusive too. And then somehow it unpacks in, in those questions, what could I have done better? And so it's all in your big book. If you go through it, somehow it can kind of dig through and pick through all of my denial and my pride and my ego and maybe an issue will float up that I don't even maybe see, but I'm sharing this with my sponsor, right? I'm sharing my 10th and 11th stuff and she can be like, so, Hey, what was that? And I'm like, Oh, you know, and that's how the program works. I have to surround myself with a pack of you guys because I, in and of myself, like I I will end up probably, you know, dismissing some things that could be red flags, right? Mm -hmm. That's typically that's messed up. So,
0: so what I just heard you say is if I'm being dishonest, I'm not even doing 10 and 11. I can't say that I am right.
1: Well, I mean, if you're answering the questions, am I dishonest? Do I have a secret? Is there something, you know, there's so many different ways to unpack it. People practice the 10 step and totally, I I mean, I didn't always do it this way, right? Like I would just go through, Hey, was there anything, or, you know, went off, you know, what good things happened today? Those were some ways that I practiced it. Well, when I ask these, my, myself, these specific questions, they dig out of me somehow, and they're straight from the book. They dig out of me some areas that maybe, you know, with a simple, like, did I hurt anybody today question? Or, you know, I could get, I could just get, for me, um, passive way, you know? Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. Anybody have a question? All
0: right. Well, this has been, um, so great before I, I ask the wrap up question, cause we are getting to the top of the hour. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to touch on?
1: You know, I think recovery can be, uh, it's the biggest blessing in my life today. And I would say, I think we've touched on everything that, that I would like go go run towards God that's that's number one I'm not, not gonna say anything other than that and in the process you're gonna you're gonna fall into the life that you're supposed to live period like go to your higher power talk about it when it's awkward get it all out you know it doesn't have to be anybody else's conception but please just run towards that direction and you're gonna be okay do you sponsor I do. That looks different. Um, I'm not sponsoring eight or nine <laughs> women anymore. Um, I actually, uh, I've got a few swonties, but I feel like it looks different this time and it's beautiful. It's, it's not me like rallying a m- m- bunch of girls and then like I'm some leader of a pack and like we're, I'm a, I'm a flavor of AA. Like I'm literally a worker among workers. Um, I have a heart for women, especially that have been in treatment centers because I have and for mamas. Who were like, how do I stay sober? How do I do this? How do I get over the shame of some of the things that I did while I was drinking with my kids around? You know? Uh so yeah, I do.
0: And what do you say to that uh to that question of how do I get over the shame of stuff
1: that I've done with my kids around? Uh the shame uh is a is a lie. You know, shame is something that our disease keeps us, you know, locked up and feeling like crap about ourselves because the longer we can feel bad about ourselves and that we're not worthy that, you know, that we're that much closer to justifying taking a drink, you know, because what's the point. Right. And I can never make this up, but the steps are clear cut direction. The program is a program of action that literally gets you out of, you know, the bondage of self, like it will release your chains. You do step one, you go to step two, you do them in order, all of them. um, And it's going to, you know, whitewash all the areas, the dark, the, the, the grimy places in you that you just thought were just completely never going to go away. You can be free from. And that's what the program Alcoholics Anonymous and the Steps do. It frees you from the areas that you thought there's no way I'm not going to shudder Every time I think about that, there's no way I won't cry. Describing that situation. There's no way I can face that person knowing that they know the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. The freedom comes from the steps.
0: And, um, Sorry, I was gonna ask the wrap a question, but then I just thought of these other things. Do you feel as if, you know, you have made an amends or to your children or the shame has been lifted um, and you've made that right about the accident that you had with them?
1: Yeah, um, so like I said, I used to have nightmares but I woke up in treatment, I felt so embarrassed and just horrified the fact that we just got out of there with a scratch. We totaled my, I totaled my vehicle. We flipped in a field on the side of the road. Like there's no way that somebody shouldn't have been like really, really harmed in that. My son will bring it up every once in a while. He's 11 years old now. And so he'll say, remember that time when we were in that car accident and I had that gash in my head and we were in the hospital, you know, he'll bring it up sometimes. And I said, yeah, I'll remember it. And each time, you know, at first it felt like a real gut punch. And each time since, you know, I've been able to even say to him, you know, I do remember that baby. And I know that was scary for you. And I try not to invalidate his experience with it because really, I mean, that was a scary experience for him to have, but I also will remind my husband if he, he's brought it up over the years too, that, that that's not who I am anymore. That's not where I live. That's something I've done. It's not, it's not who I am and, you know, you could see it over his face, like, oh yeah, like, I don't even know why I'm, cause it scared the crap out of him. Those were his children. That was his wife. It was almost all gone in an instant. Right. So I think, um, and my daughter was so young. She doesn't really, she was like one, one and a half or two. She doesn't really remember, but I think inside myself, that was the biggest torture chamber, right. Was like, I cannot believe I did that, you know, and I had absolutely no control like it had taken me. Uh, so the healing comes, do the work, <laughs> keep showing up and then love on other women who are feeling like crap about themselves. That's the magic sauce right there. Mm-hmm. You see them love on them, give them encouragement, give them hope. Yeah. And you can definitely tell that you have healing
0: around it because you're able to share your experience to help other women. Right. And that's really cool. It is cool. Cause there's definitely somebody who's to hear that for sure
1: i'm here Um, to talk about it anytime and to love on you if you've done something you thought was completely uh unforgivable i have like a handful of those that were just like my top i can't believe i did that gross and i will love on you right where you're at all right now we will ask the wrap-up question what what?
0: was (laughs) <laughs> and my wrap up question is, if you could leave us with one takeaway, whether it be the ladies on the call or the listeners, you know, whether it's for getting sober or staying sober or life in recovery, if you don't hear anything I say, hear this, what would your one
1: takeaway you'd want to leave us with? Connect with women, make those calls. I know it's awkward. I know it's uncomfortable. Go up to the, to the people and the meeting you don't know and say, Hey, this is my name you know, give them your phone number and connect. And, and then once you're in, be inclusive. No matter who you see, where they're at, what you think about them, um, invite them in. If you're going somewhere, invite them, right? And then if somebody invites you, go. Say yes.
0: I love that. Be inclusive because all, so many times we like talk about the awkwardness for us going up to other women and stuff. And like, I just think that was so important to wrap that in as well. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was amazing, Liz. I don't know if you saw the comments, but the women really enjoyed it. So y'all have a wonderful day.
1: This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women.
0: We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and
1: support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.